Step into the hidden corridors of the past with Hometown History, where every episode uncovers the untold stories and secrets nestled in the streets and alleys of our own backyards. We bring history to life, revealing the extraordinary in the ordinary, from local legends to forgotten tales that shape the communities we know today. Tune into Hometown History and embark on a journey through time, right from where you are. It's a little board game where it's supposed to make you think that spirits come into your house and they're moving this little thing around um, to spell words out and stuff. And it's supposed to make you think that your friends are moving it around. Let's say you're at your friend's house one day and you're playing outside, but the sun is starting to go down and you have to go in. What are you going to do next? Your friend goes to the shelf and pulls out a board game. What game would you expect it to be? I love strategy games, so I'd be hoping for Clue or maybe Connect Four. Or maybe it's something like Sorry or Monopoly. Or what if it was a board game that would let you contact the dead? Last week, we talked about summoning spirits to answer simple yes or no questions. This week, things are going to get a little more complicated as we learn about the story behind the infamous Ouija board. I'm Elise Parisian, and this is Unspookable. It looks like, um, like a yellowish brown board with the alphabet. And a goodbye at the bottom and a yes and no at the top. And if you ask it its name, it will spell out Ouija. The Ouija board, as our friend Al just described, has existed since the Canard Novelty Company patented the name and the design in 1892. But where did the idea come from? Why did the manufacturers of the game decide to invest in it? Why did they believe that Americans would buy a piece of wood with letters on it and sit around their living rooms trying to access the spirit world, the way that you or I might sit around our living room watching YouTube or playing a game on our phone? Well, honestly, trying to contact the dead or summon spirits or communicate with other worlds, however you want to describe it, those things didn't always have the same meaning as they do today. In last week's episode, we talked about how the game Charlie Charlie has been labeled by a lot of people as demonic, or having to do with Satan, simply because it has to do with talking to spirits. Lots of people today may also associate Ouija boards with the occult, a word that can mean dark or evil magic. But the reason the Ouija board first became popular was because the majority of Americans believed that contacting the dead was a wholesome, fun family activity, just like Monopoly. To understand the moment in American culture that led to the explosive popularity of the Ouija board, a popularity that still exists today, we have to go back even further than the 1890s to understand a little bit more about the history of humans trying to contact the other side. Questions about the nature of death have been around since humans have existed. The idea of death may frighten us. It might make us sad or feel confusing. These are all natural human reactions to something we really know so little about. One of the things that makes us human is our self-consciousness, or our ability to understand ourselves as individuals. Some of us who may be injured, ill, or not neurotypical may have a different experience, 
But for the most part, humans distinguish themselves on this planet by being able to understand our own bodies, thoughts, and actions. We are highly evolved animals, which is really cool. The downside to all that brain power? Well, we are also aware that someday we're gonna die. There is evidence of our very early ancestors in South Africa burying their dead in caves almost 300,000 years ago. Even with a less evolved skeleton and a brain only a third of the size of ours, these human ancestors were aware of the difference between life and death. Thinking about these things may bring up a lot of feelings, but it's totally normal to wonder about death. Where do people go when they die? Is it even a place, or is it more like a feeling? Will there be other people there? Or what about our pets? Do they also go somewhere when they die? Do any of these sound like questions that you've had? Or maybe you've had different ones. You may have your own idea of what happens when you die. Or you may discuss it with your family, or belong to a religious or spiritual group that helps you think about these questions. But have you ever considered just trying to ask someone who has died what they're thinking or feeling? Or what it's like over there? If you've considered it, you're not alone. Humans have been trying to contact the dead or try to understand more about what death could be like for as long as we've been around. In fact, that's where the idea for a lot of holidays have come from. Thousands of years ago, in regions of Europe that include modern-day Ireland, Scotland, England, and France, people celebrated a holiday called Samhain, which would take place around the time that crops were being harvested, as summer was ending and fall was beginning. People believed that this was a natural time for the barrier between the worlds of the living and the dead to be a little more malleable. They celebrated with games and feasts and bonfires, performing rituals to speak to the dead who could be walking among them at that time of year, and to keep evil spirits at bay. By the 7th century, Christianity became the dominant religion in Europe, and Christian leaders declared that Christians should celebrate All Saints' Day or All Souls' Day to honor the dead. The evening before became known as All Hallows' Eve, which over centuries has evolved into the holiday we know as Halloween. So while some of us may think of Halloween as a time to stock up on candy, or even be afraid of it because of its connection to ghosts or other scary things, the origins of this holiday have more to do with wanting to be in communion with the dead, and that being a good thing. Something that helps us honor the cycle of birth and death that's reflected in the seasons. All around the world, people celebrate holidays where they believe the dead are brought closer to us through various rituals, often involving lights such as fire or candles or lanterns. People of Mexican or Latin American descent might celebrate Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead. Ancestors who have died are asked to return to visit their families through altars that honor them. In Haiti, some people celebrate Gede, a holiday that honors the ruler of death who also embodies principles of wisdom and renewal. Some Buddhists celebrate Oban, a festival in which paper lanterns are set out to guide the spirits of the dead back home. So, it seems like many of us all over the world want to celebrate our dead loved ones in different ways. Maybe we even think it's cool that during certain times of year, or when we perform certain rituals, we can bring the worlds of the dead and the living closer together. In the United States, this idea caught on in a big way during the late 1800s, when people began practicing a religion known as spiritualism. Spiritualists believe that contact with the spirits of the dead is possible, and that spirits are more advanced than humans, which means that they can provide useful knowledge about how humans should live their lives. 
The practice of spiritualism often involved seances, or gatherings where people contacted the dead. The word seance was borrowed from the French word meaning session, which comes from an older French word meaning to sit. Seances often involve people sitting in a circle as the first step to contacting the dead. It's important to understand that in the 1800s, holding a seance was not seen as a scary thing. For some people, spiritualism could even be practiced in addition to Christianity, meaning they could go to a seance on a Saturday night and then a Christian church service on a Sunday morning. In April of 1863, First Lady Mary Todd Lincoln, a noted spiritualist, held a seance in the White House to talk with her dead son, William. President Abraham Lincoln was among the attendants. Spiritualists and others who held seances had many methods and tools for talking with the dead. In the 1840s and 50s, the famous Fox sisters communicated with spirits through a series of rappings, or knocking that they translated to answer questions. For years, many people believed the two sisters, along with their older sister, who managed their act, to be mediums capable of contacting the spirit world. Though it is said that at different times, each sister confessed to the ways that they made the knocks happen, plenty of people around the country saw their demonstrations as proof that communicating with the dead was possible. At a time when there was no television or radio for entertainment, it probably seemed even more fun to watch or participate in one of these events. Another popular tool of many mediums was the spirit board, or talking board, a piece of wood with letters and numbers that spirits could use to spell out answers to questions. Does that sound familiar? That's right. Before it was trademarked and sold under the name Ouija board, people were making and using their own versions of a talking board at home. I would say that, like, how the board is made, like, the board connects to, like, the moving thing and it moves the thing around. And your question goes into the board and it goes into the thing that moves and it will tell you the answer. I think a Ouija board is a game where you could contact your dead, like, family or anyone that passed away. And, but I don't think it's probably real. Your friends are probably just moving it. Me, I wouldn't play it because, honestly, I get creeped out pretty easily. So, I don't want to get creeped out by a game. I don't think um I've ever used one, but I do want to see I do want to use one. So, how might you use a Ouija board? Well, whether you're in a candlelit parlor in the 1860s or in your basement with your phone in 2018, the board is supposed to work the same way. You gather a few friends, lay the board out on a table or on the ground, and make a circle around it. Maybe you're in the dark except for a flashlight. Or maybe you have some other special objects with you in the room. Anything that makes the ritual come alive for you. Then, you place the planchette on the board. The planchette is made of wood or plastic and is shaped kind of like a smushed upside-down heart. Planchette, by the way, comes from the French word meaning little board. When you're ready, everyone should place one or two fingers on the planchette and someone will ask a question out loud. Then, all there is left to do is wait for the spirits to move the planchette under your fingers and answer the question. One time, some friends of mine decided that they wanted to find out more about who was buried in a local cemetery. So one evening, they packed up some candles and a Ouija board and went to find a spot under some trees to set up. 
First, they asked, Are there any spirits here? The planchette immediately pointed to yes. Everyone was a little spooked, but wanted to know more, so they asked more questions. What's your name? How old are you? How did you die? By the time the planchette pointed to goodbye, they found out that they were talking to a 12-year-old boy who sadly had drowned. Communicating with a spirit in a cemetery sounds pretty scary to me, but it's also not hard to understand why people are curious. Like my friends, wouldn't you want to know who you're talking to when a spirit agrees to hang out? The talking board has been tempting people to ask questions for hundreds of years. It was only because they were already so popular that a group of businessmen decided to patent them and sell them as a game. In 1891, Elijah Bond and Charles Kennard, along with a few other businessmen and investors, wanted to get a patent for their version of the talking board that they called Ouija. But before they could get the patent approved, they had to show that their invention worked. They brought Helen Peters, who was said to be a strong medium with them, to the patent office in Washington, D.C. It is also said that Peters was present when an early version of the board spelled out O-U-I-J-A, which gave the board its name. The patent officer ordered them to provide a demonstration. If the board could spell out his name, which supposedly no one in the room knew but him, he would grant the request. They all sat down, communed with the spirits, and the planchette faithfully spelled out his name. Now, is it possible that Peters, whose fingers were on the planchette, simply knew the man's name? Totally. But regardless, the patent officer was sold. Some say that he left the office white-faced and visibly shaken, and granted them the patent on the spot. After that, the Canard Novelty Company began manufacturing the boards by the hundreds of thousands. They sold so well that in just one year, by 1892, the company had expanded from one factory in Baltimore, Maryland, to two in New York, and two in Chicago, and one all the way in London. Although their popularity has fluctuated over the years, the Ouija board remains a fixture of American culture. There was a period of five months in 1944 where a single New York department store sold 50,000 copies. In 1967, the year after Parker Brothers, who also make games like Clue and Risk and Sorry, bought the game, two million boards were purchased. It was more popular than Monopoly. So what is it about those particular times in history, or even the first burst of popularity in the late 1800s, that draws people to the Ouija board? Well, some historians have pointed out that these are all times of conflict and turmoil for the United States. The board first became popular after the Civil War, when millions of people had lost loved ones and may have wanted to contact them. The 1940s were a difficult time in the U.S. because of the Great Depression and World War II. And during the 1960s, we experienced the Vietnam War and the civil rights movement of that era. It seems like one way to explain the board's popularity during these times is that when things are difficult, humans want answers. And when we can't come up with them on our own, it makes sense that we would seek them outside of ourselves. Now that we've heard about the origins of the board and what it might have meant to some people around the time it was first popular, here's my question. Why do some of us think it's scary? Where did the idea that a Ouija board could be used for evil magic or to contact demons come from? In American popular culture, no one even thought of the Ouija board as potentially evil until it started being used in horror movies in the 1960s. Until then, it was just like any other game you might play in your living room with your family. And while some people might say that talking with the dead isn't part of their religion, 
As we have heard, there are others who would say that the dead are very much connected to the living and should be celebrated and asked for guidance. So is it a scary thing to do to talk to the dead? Is it even something we should be doing? You have to decide that one for yourself. Or maybe you could ask one of those questions out loud. You never know who might be listening. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. This episode was written by Eleanor Riley Condit with myself and Nate Dufort. Produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen. Special thanks this week to Blythe, Bella, and Al. You can catch six-year-old Al with his father Jeff on the family-friendly Cadavercast, a father-son monster movie podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Are you enjoying the show so far? Then make sure you subscribe to Unspookable on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. While you're there, leave us a rating and review. It helps us find new listeners. And don't forget to share the show with your friends, or better yet, on social media like Facebook or Twitter. Unspookable is part of the Soundsington Audio Network, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com. It's actually hard to spell. I saw a video about tweets and said, Luigi board? <laughs> Yuja board? Um, how do you play a Yuja board? What's a Yachi board? <laughs> For over six years, The Past and the Curious has been winning fans, sharing stories of real people from the past, and making people smile. I'm Mick Sullivan, author of I See Lincoln's Underpants, which is a book about, well, famous people's underwear. You'll find all of those stories and much, much more in the 100-plus episodes of The Past and the Curious that are currently available. Find it in all the usual podcast places. The Past and the Curious with Mick Sullivan. That's me. <laughs>